Hello and welcome to Switzer TV Investing. I'm Peter Switzer and in a big week for company reporting where today we saw great stories from JB Hi-Fi and Kogan but it was not enough to assist our market go higher. The ASX 200 index was down nearly 50 points to finish at 6,076. Not helping was an ordinary report from Bendigo Adelaide Bank, which did not help the rest of the banking sector. But let's go looking for companies worth investing in with Julia Lee of Berman Invest and Adam Dawes of Shore and Partners. And then we'll catch up with Kogan's founder, Russell and Kogan, and try and work out if it's worth investing in this company after its share price has risen, now wait for it, 401% since March 23, the low point of the coronavirus crash of the stock market. And then Paul Rickard will look at today's company reports and as a big fan of JB Hi-Fi, I'll ask him if the current share price of $49.49 is way over the top. So let's kick off with our catch up with Berman Invest, Julia Lee, and I wanna know how we play a little company called Mesoblast. Well, we always catch up with Julia Lee at the beginning of the program on the first day of the week, and uh, I've got a number of companies I want to talk to you about, but I have to start with Mesoblast because she told us how much she liked it on Monday, <laughs> felt for her on Tuesday or Wednesday when it fell about 40%. Then after the FDA came out, it rebounded by that amount. You must have had a really hard week's sleep, did you? I've had no sleep all week, <laughs> but I, I guess that's the roller coaster ride that biotechs can often be. Um, so what we saw was that the FDA, ahead of the advisory committee, the Oncology Advisory Committee committee for Restem, Remy Stem Cell, um, released a really bearish note that um, the market, I guess, took that to be the FDA's view instead of discussion notes. And then when it came down to the advisory committee. Actually, if we have a look at the 10 votes, nine voted in favour and only one was against. So that's a big tick of endorsement. Of course, mm. the FDA is not bound to say OK on the 30th of September by that advisory committee. But of course, it does increase the chances that this will get through. And with Mesoblast, I guess when you have a look at biotechs, they can be a bottomless well of consuming your money and capital, taking away your money. Um, but the difference with uh, Mesoblast at this point in time is that there are a number of phase threes now looking for approval to go into commercialization, whether it is pediatric acute graft versus host, which was last week and will be the 30th of September final decision, if not beforehand, or whether it's uh, lower back pain, which is also in uh, phase three, or uh, heart disease, which is also in phase three. So there's a number of different ones that are coming up now to commercialization. So lots of potential trigger points for Mesoblast. Okay, so Julia, from that point of view, if FDA gives it the thumbs up on September, was it? 30th. All right, will that mean effectively uh, another uh, leg up for the share price, do you think? I think it means that they'll be able to sell their product into the US um, this year, which is a huge positive. And it's a big breakthrough in terms of medical science as well to see stem cells now treating things like acute graft versus host disease. And of course, it opens the door potentially for not only in use in pediatrics, because there is no treatment currently for under 12s, um, but also for adult uh, acute graft versus host that doesn't um, respond to steroids. Um, so it, it is a huge uh, 
it is a huge step in terms of medical science and a huge step for any kids that have acute graft versus host that doesn't respond to steroids. So, look, it's a new market and it means revenue coming through the door. Of course, they already sell it in Japan as Temcel. And with the other ones, with things like chronic back, uh, lower back pain, as well as the heart disease, it is all about partnering up, which will mean uh, probably an upfront payment and then royalties coming through. So um, great to see that inflection mm. point from consuming piles of shareholder capital to potentially uh, creating revenue and profit, which is a, a great thing for Misoblast. Okay, so the only thing that could bring us undone would be a surprise negative FDA finding. Uh, well, there's a few catalysts. Um, not only that would be a negative, um, I think that it will go through, but perhaps the FDA might uh, require some post-studies um, to keep track of what's going on, given that this is a new treatment, but also just watching the phase three of the lower back pain as well as the heart treatments as well. Okay, let's go to uh, JV Hi-Fi today. Can this share price go any higher? <laughs> What a great result coming mm. through from JB Hi-Fi. And we also heard from Kogan today. And I guess just having a look at both of these stocks, they have uh, benefited from COVID-19 and the lockdowns where people have had to buy more things for the home and the home office. Um, and they've been a great beneficiary of that. And we've seen that reflected in the sales results. In fact, just having a look, it looks like those good sales numbers have even uh, transferred over into the new financial year. So if we have a look at the July sales numbers, JB Hi-Fi up by 42% compared to the same time last year and if we have a look at Kogan up 110 uh, percent so I guess that key trend uh, continuing and Kogan obviously in the box seat there because it is stronger in terms of online whereas JB Hi-Fi is impacted by the Melbourne lockdowns at the moment. The key thing for investors to us though is whether we've reached peak uh, sales growth related to COVID-19 because we are seeing people withdrawing money out of the super we're also seeing the job keeper and the job seeker payments, which are also helping. And we can't spend money on holidays at the moment. So it looks like consumers are spending money on other things. So mm. look, I'm probably neutral on JB Hi-Fi as well as Kogan, despite the great sales results coming through. And the key mm. question, I think, if you're going to, going to be jumping in at this point rather than holding, is to ask whether we are going to see some of that consumer spending come off when we do see some of that stimulus coming off. Okay, so now what about you? Really happy that Credit Suisse has upgraded Metcash. You were telling us about Metcash <laughs> weeks or months ago. Yeah, I think Metcash is uh, I, actually uh, we've bought some more of Metcash, but uh, it looks like the grocery uh, supermarkets are doing well, and that includes Coles as well as Woolworths. But Metcash in particular is probably benefiting quite strongly from the the lockdowns, um, in that people are shopping more local, and that there is a smaller footprint to where people are going. So look, expecting to see IGA a key beneficiary there, um, and continuing to probably see better sales results than Coles or Woolworths. Coles probably doing a little bit better than Woolworths and Metcash also probably taking some market share off the, the big guns at the moment. So Metcash in a pretty good place mm. due to COVID-19 and people shopping locally. Okay, a couple of quickies before we go. Uh, growth Point Properties, you get a chance to have a look at that? Sure. Um, when it looks... When we look at property, I guess uh, the type of property that I like, first of all, is industrial, followed by office, and finally retail. So if we have a look at growth point, two thirds of 
uh, growth points revenue comes from office, whereas one third comes from industrial. So it's not a bad place to be in terms of positioning. They do look at secondary fringe locations, so places like Homebush as well as Parramatta, which are strong growth areas. I guess one of the negatives is they have had a new development called Botanica in Richmond, and because of the COVID-19 mm. lockdowns, that building remains vacant. So there is a vacancy there. They have waived rent to some of the smaller tenants in hospitality and retail, but it's not a huge amount. We have a look at rent collections in April. It was 100%. By June, it was about 87%. But there's ongoing negotiations there. So that's likely to tick higher. And if you have a look at their top eight tenants, they're tenants like um, Woolworths, New South Wales Police, Commonwealth Bank, Country Road, Limpbox, Bank of Queensland, ANZ and Samsung. So, you know, out of those, maybe Country Road might be likely to apply for some rent waivers, but otherwise pretty, um, I guess, pretty stable there and with a yield of about 7.5%, not looking too bad in that property sector. Yeah. I don't mind it. Okay. What about EML? <laughs> EML payments. Look, I think you just have to be choosy with when you get this one. I do like this one for the long You've term. You've always portfolio. liked it. You've always liked it. Yeah. I have because, look, I think we are moving away from cash and EML sits in the box seat, um, especially because of its acquisition of PFS, which means that in the fintech and open banking area, it opens a whole new market. At the moment, it's under a bit of pressure because its traditional bread and butter were gift cards. And of course, uh, with lockdowns, you can't really go to the shopping centres and gift card demand hasn't been great. But the good news is that with this PFS acquisition, it takes away some of that reliance on gift cards from about 65% of revenue down to 40%. But it is still a big hit. So until COVID-19 passes, that gift card area is still going to weigh down. But I think moving forward, it is pretty exciting for um, email payments in that open banking space and potentially to be the financial services of that fintech space. So look, this is one for after COVID-19 passing, but certainly it is quite volatile. So if you can manage to pick it up under that $3 mark. I think in the medium to long term, it looked pretty good. Short term, lots of volatility because of COVID-19 and our shopping trends. One final one, Solly Lou's Premier Investments. Are you a buyer or a seller or a watcher? Uh, watcher in this one. I find it really amusing that in the second half of the financial year, they saw sales down by at 12%, but um, actually earnings <laughs> were a record. Um, so I think it's growth of about 10 to 12% on the EBIT line, earnings before interest and tax. Um, so look, obviously a huge beneficiary of uh, JobKeeper as well as rent waivers. Um, and in the type of environment that we're in, you know, if a retailer has managed not to pay two of its biggest costs, which are rent as well as wages, and it's got a strong online channel, then they're doing pretty well in this type of environment. I guess the key question is to ask whether these conditions are temporary or forever and what happens when um, the environment normalises. So in a great place at the moment and probably over the next six months, but after that, probably a more difficult environment for Premier Investments. Having said that, a lot of its leases are up for a renegotiation in 2020. So we'll probably able, be able to renegotiate those leases um, and get a pretty good deal for the long term. So just watching those lease renegotiations and that might be an extra cost coming down over the next five to 10 years. Julia Lee, Berman Invest, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Lee. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager 
with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, 10 years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. One of the surprise stories of the coronavirus period has been Kogan.com.au. What? Oh, hang on. Are you .com.au or just .com? Just .com, but I we own the .com.au as well, so okay. that would still capture them. Okay, mate, fine. Yeah. Yep. So one of the surprise stories of the coronavirus crash, if you like, has been the success and the wonderful performance of Kogan.com. And today we got uh, the latest report and once again, the market has been very impressed with the performance. Anyone who's look, looked at the chart, the chart is unbelievably good. And we've got the founder of uh, Kogan.com, Russell Kogan, joining us for the Switzer program. Good to see you, mate. Thanks for having me. So, look, I, I did write uh, today that, you know, this is kind of like the, the pandemic you had to have. But obviously, not, a guy like you, you you'd be heartfelt um, about the, the, the death and the sickness around this. But in a sense, it's created an opportunity for a business like yours where you would have needed a lot more social development to get people keen to buy online. Has it surprised you the uptake that has actually happened? Yeah, look, you're, you're spot on. On one hand, it's a health crisis and an economic crisis. And, you know, you never want to be winning in that sort of environment. And the health of your staff and your customers is the top priority. Yeah. But, um, you know, we, we, from a business perspective, what we're experiencing is a case of preparation meeting opportunity. We were there from 2006 talking about the benefit of e-commerce, how important it is to invest in e-commerce infrastructure, how important it was to develop all of these systems. And um, yeah, it certainly accelerated all of that. It's, it's taken e-commerce and the social structures around it, and it's accelerated them several years within the space of several months. So for those people who haven't had a chance to, to see the, the key data points, what have been the, the data points that you've presented today, which effectively have shown how, how improved this company is, particularly in the eyes of the customers that do business with you? Yeah, look, while our financial metrics look very healthy and we're seeing great growth in top line, bottom line, cash generation, the dividend, uh, it's the consumer behavior metric that has our management team excited. And that is the repeat purchase rate. We're seeing a 40% faster repeat purchase rate from new customers in the last few months compared to the prior periods. Meaning that not only are we winning lots of new customers in this period, they're seeing the benefits of online retail and they're repurchasing at a faster pace than ever before. And that is a really uh, impressive trend for us because it's showing that it is having that social impact you were talking about where people are getting retrained in terms of how they shop. They're learning about the benefits 
and in, of shopping online. And in that environment, I can't see them going back to the old way of doing things. Okay, so looking for other important trends, um, you correct me if I'm wrong, and I know you will if, if I am wrong, but it seemed to me that when you kicked off, you were sort of cool and groovy for young people, and young people really dug Kogan. But is this new group of customers, are they more demographically diverse than the, the, the young and groovy generation who thought you were inexplicably cool? Well, look, we're now at the point where we've got over 2.2 million customers. So... Um, we're, we're fairly mass market, but I'd say that the early adopters in e-commerce weren't so much the um, young and groovy, but they were the price hunters. They were mm. the people, which, which the two do overlap quite a bit because younger people tend to not have as much money to spend mm. as those that have paid off their house and put their kids through school already. But it is, it is that price hunter, the, those willing to do a lot of research to... Uh, see what they want to buy. And the mass market is the convenience customer. They're the ones that care a lot more about the fact that it'll arrive really quickly or the website is really easy to use than they do about whether they're paying $80 or $82 and so on. So, you know, the convenience customer is the mass market in e-commerce. And that's, I think, what we're entering now. We're entering the age of e-commerce becoming uh, mass market for the convenience customer. I was staggered when I got the chart out and had a look at uh, your, your price rebound since March 23, the low point of the coronavirus crash, and you're up about 401% on my quick calculation. Um, what are you going to do to, to grow this market even more? Uh, obviously, the, what you've told us so far implies that the future is looking good. But I, I guess we have to adjust to sometime when people go back to shopping centres again. What do you, what's, what's going to be the, the new thing you'll add to the mix to keep giving you momentum upwards? Well, look, uh, we've been showing strong growth through the period, even when people were back in shopping centres and everything's open. And, you know, if you look at Chadston through June here in Melbourne, it was there were newspaper articles about, look at this. It was some of the busiest periods uh, they had seen. But all of that aside, we as a business obviously know that we are in an industry that's growing quickly and transforming. Like we are roughly a $1 billion of gross sales business in a $30 billion e-commerce market. So we're about 3% of e-commerce. And e-commerce is, uh, e-commerce is about 10% of overall retail. So we're 0.3% of the market and we need to make sure that more and more of that bricks and mortar spend shifts to online. So we'll be doing our best to ensure that and that people learn about the benefits of e-commerce. But we'll also be working hard to expand our product range, to expand our offering to our customers. Like the Kogan Marketplace, which launched a bit over a year ago, is a huge part of our results today because in a bit over a year, our product range has gone from about 100,000 products to, to millions of items. Now, providing more choice as we allow more sellers to sell through our platform, we will keep working on that because that enables our platform to scale infinitely without requiring any additional resources. So, uh, you know, that's one of the key initiatives in our business. The other one is a program we call Kogan First. 
which is our loyalty program, and it's designed to make customers come to Kogan first. You pay a subscription fee, you get free shipping, you get free upgrade to express shipping on some products and exclusive deals on others. And it creates this win-win because customers are saving more and we make less margin on these customers and that's fine because these customers are coming back to shop with us more often. Yeah. And so overall we make more profit and the customer saves more money. And those beautiful win-win relationships is what makes things long-term sustainable and that's a key initiative for us. Okay, so apart from that, are there any other innovations lying in the, in the wings that you're going to be bringing to market to keep this uh, momentum going forward? Yeah, look, uh, we know to never rest on our laurels. We're, we've seen what happens to businesses that achieve success and then sit back and relax. So that's never going to happen at this organisation. And we've got some of the brightest minds in tech and e-commerce in Australia uh, working at Kogan.com and we've got lots of exciting things in the pipeline. Russell and Kogan, uh, great story. Uh, good to see a young bloke like you do it. Well, I guess you're not a young bloke anymore. You're 37, really... not that young anymore. Oh, I call that young. You've done a great job. Well done. Thanks for joining us on the program. All the best, mate. Pleasure to chat. Thank you. This episode was brought to you by WCM Investment Management, a California-based global equities manager with an outstanding long-term track record. This chart shows the significant outperformance of WCM's quality global growth strategy over the past one year, three years, five years, ten years, and since its inception. Investors can access the strategy via the ASX with their choice of an exchange-traded managed fund, WCMQ, or a listed investment company, WQG. Well, the market was down today and to find out why and to look at some of the companies that reported and a few other interesting stocks out there. We've got Adam Dawes from Shaw and Partners. Thanks for joining us, Adam. No worries, Peter. How are you going today? Very good, mate. Now, I saw JB Hi-Fi reported well, so did Kogan, but the market's down. How, how can you put those two, two or three facts together? Yeah, well, look, I suspect we'll talk a little bit about Kogan and JB Hi-Fi a little bit later, but mm. um, some fantastic results in the online space. I think a little bit of a breather and it's that 6,000 level we're struggling to yeah. get over. I mean, we're over it now, but it's just to, to build on that momentum has been really, really tough. So banks struggled a little bit today. Uh, the resources in Rio potentially going under $100 today. So, you know, those kinds of things are going to weigh on our market. Yeah. What do you think is driving the, um, the, the implications for a company like Rio at the moment? Yeah, well, look, the, re the report's out. The, the dividends out, as in, you know, we know how much they're going to pay. Um, there's not much else to really look for. Iron ore, iron ore commodity price at, at 100, over $100 plus, um, you know, it's going to struggle to, to maintain those levels. So mm. I think some profit taking coming back in. I'd be buying Rio back at $85 if it gets back down there. I think that'll be a nice buy for a long-term portfolio. Okay. Let's just go through then some of the, the stuff for the day, like JB Hi-Fi. First of all, it's a, it's a great company and looks like the coronavirus is actually showing the, the greatness of the company. Look, we've all been forced to uh, try out e-commerce. 
Whereas, you know, we used to like going into the store and, you know, potentially buying something now. Uh, we're all having to move forward into that e-commerce space. And that's exactly what JB Hi-Fi said. They said in the first 11 days of lockdown in Victoria, they saw their numbers start to rally or e-commerce people buying from home. And then they've also seen that they haven't seen a slowdown since, well, since this coronavirus started. So it's a fantastic business. Hit over $50 today, 51 something and now and, and pulled back a little bit uh, closer to the close. But uh, it's a fantastic business and gee, people have done well if they've held this one for the longer term. Yeah, we remember when it was about $23 and uh, people like you and I couldn't work out why it was, but at, uh, at yeah. 50, it's really just um, justified. It's um, well, the positivity people like you and I had for that company when it yeah. was $23. Well, it's a, it's a great business and they're able to change their inventory very, very quickly whatever the new Apple phone is or whatever the new uh, computer game or whatever, they're able to change that inventory very quickly, get it onto the shelves, put it online, and then people are just continuing to buy it. And it's a great brand name as well. So I think yeah. that's really positive. Now, Kogan's a company that we probably weren't all that positive about a couple yeah. of years ago. We always had question marks over its potential, but gee, the coronavirus and the online world has really um, cemented this company's name in the Australian retailer's mind. It has been the best performing e-commerce business in the coronavirus this year. Mm. So it's up 55% from uh, from the start of when coronavirus happened or started, and it has defied gravity ever since. And really, that's it's a testament to to Russell uh, Kogan and the way he's run that business. He creates a marketplace where third-party people can go and sell their products on there, yeah. but he also then sells his own TVs, his own computers. He does his own thing. And those profit margins are fantastic. So he's doing very, very well. Yeah, in, in many ways, he's showing other businesses how to understand the customer mm. base, isn't he? Mm. Well, as I said before, we've been forced into this. You know, previously we weren't doing a lot of online shopping, and it was a small part of any any retailer's business. But now it has to be their main part of their business because obviously, bricks and mortar aren't working. So they're really pushing that, and and we're accepting that as well. Yeah. Now, now Metcash today got an upgrade. What do you guys think of Metcash? I'm a bit, uh, I'm a bit hesitant on the, the outliers, I guess you could say, of the, of the big two, which is obviously Woolworths and Coles. Mm. I think Metcash has always struggled uh, to, to maintain that third spot. And obviously Audi comes in and sort of takes that third spot off them pretty quickly uh, as they start to roll out stores and things like that. I think Metcash is a good business. The dividend has, been, uh, has struggled for a while now. I like that independent side of things. But for me, in a client's portfolio, I'll always go Woolworths or Coles over, over that regional or that second player, third player. Adam, uh, I, I read today that you know, Bendigo didn't report all that well and yes. that didn't help other banks. But gee, I've been thinking that during this you know, recession type uh, era we're going through, the big four banks usually do well and the little banks cop it. Well, why, why would the big banks cop it when the little bank hasn't done well? You know, I, I don't know, because I mean, we saw Commonwealth Bank report last week. So, you know, we, we know how the big banks are going and they look, they're going OK. Mm. Dividend was strong. I think, look, look, Bendigo has always struggled. They're always a price taker versus a price maker when they go to the market to find to find funding. And that's been the problem for those guys. Yeah. Um, we, we've got to sell on Bendigo. I've never been a fan of it. And Bank of Queensland as well. I think both of them are going to struggle. I like the top four, or the top five, if you include Macquarie in that. And I think that's probably a safer place to be. But I think it's, yeah, it's more um, the market trying to make some excuses 
around why, you know, Bendy goes down so the rest of the banks are down as well. It's a bit of a tough one there. Okay. Now, just a couple of questions we got from our Boom, Doom and Zoom report last week. One was a company called uh, Growth Point Properties. You guys got a view on it? Uh, we don't cover it officially, but I, I did have a look at it for you, you and your and your um, investors. Look, it, it does invest in real estate and it does invest in uh, office space. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm uh, industrial. I like. I think yeah. industrial is the right play to be, and Goodman Group is is the best in the in the business. That's exactly what they do. Retail and office space. I'm a little bit concerned. Some of their big clients are Woolworths. Now, that's that's positive because yeah. Woolworths is. We'll always pay the rent, uh, but you know I do feel um, that office space is going to fluctuate. We all know we're working from home, and there'll be less office space now available. Uh, sorry, on offer, due to the fact that people can work from home. So for me, I, I, it would be a hold, but I wouldn't be topping up at these levels. Yep. I'd be just a little bit cautious because of the sector that it's in. Okay, EML payments. What a cracker! Mm. Yeah, it's done really, really well. And I don't know if you saw this, but last two weeks. Uh, Commonwealth Bank just became a substantial shareholder of EML. Mm. So they obviously believe in the technology as well. EML is obviously um, the, the, the store-bought cards that you buy, yep. uh, and that's a fantastic business. So um, yeah, really like EML, I like their payments business. They do branch out into other things, uh, so it's a buy from me yeah, yeah, after and EML. And in many ways, it would have been affected by the fact that shopping centres have been affected, particularly in Victoria. But when, when we do eventually get back to normal, you just expect this company should really benefit from that. Yeah, oh, definitely. And they've got some other strings to their bow as well. So, you know, it's not, it is, well, it is uh, department store payments or those gift cards. Yeah. But there's some other things in there as well. So, yeah, I really like the business. Okay. On the, the uh, sort of related kind of area, Premier Investments and Sully Lou. He's your best mate, isn't he? <laughs> He, he does like my product, I've got to say. <laughs> but, but so what do you think about Premier Investments? Oh, look, Premier Investments is all about the online as well. They're, mm. they're, they're still, they've been actually one of the better of the retail store uh, businesses that have actually done quite well uh, in this in this COVID environment. So, you know, Adairs have done well, Nick Scarley's done okay, uh, and Premier Investments have done very, very well on their online. Obviously, their stores are going to suffer and that retail side has been a bit tough and you know he's gone into fight against westfield he's gone into fight and say that he's not paying his rent and things like that uh it'll be who's got the deeper pockets at the end of the day to see how that one all pans out but look i, I think i think premier investments is one of the best run retail businesses in australia on our market mm. but then you know you've got the online's your temple and webster's your kogan's and things so you know it's it's a it's a tough space Premier Investments is a buy on any sort of price weakness for me. Okay, Mesoblast. Now, whoever put that rumour out that the the Federal <laughs> Drug Administration, like I reckon that, that needs investigation, doesn't it? It that, does. That, that was just red hot. Yeah, it was. And I don't remember that one where ANZ, they put ANZ, sent a fax out about some coal acquisitions and the market, you know, it happens all the time with our, mm. in our market. But look, I, look, Mesoblast, an interesting one, September the 30th, is the next date that we need to be aware of and that's the fda decision date so hmm. look at the moment it's going to do a lot of work around this uh, around these five six dollar levels just so that it can uh potentially and then obviously we the market's going to wait for that uh 30th of september so hmm. if you hold it stay with it uh, i don't know if i'd be buying any of these <laughs> levels it's a bit tough yeah, i know you feel like saying buy on a dip but gee the dips are big aren't they yeah, definitely definitely One, one last one, Austell, one of our um, investors. Yeah. It's a good company. What's your outlook? Uh, 
a little bit boring for me, the old Austal. Um, look, they do ferries, they do uh, Navy ships, those kinds of things. It's actually done really well. Like, you know, it, it has. It has done very, very well. Just not a huge fan of it. The balance sheet is good. Um, you know, for me, it just doesn't stack up for being something that I really sort of put my clients into. Yeah. Um, but the dividend's pretty good. Um, you know, it's sort of steady as she goes, as it were, with that one. And I think at the end of the day, um, you know, the boats, uh, I guess, is a good part of their business. But really, the major part of their business uh, is obviously with the Navy, but then, um, you know, and some ferries as well. So look, for me, it's a hold. Okay, and one that's all I'm going for. Yeah, one one quick one, Adam, uh, is also uh, gold and silver. We always have yes. people asking about gold. Is it too light again on the gold and silver? Um, no, no, no. no. Uh, uh, silver will follow gold, yeah. so that's always the way. And if gold's going higher, then absolutely silver will do well. Um, you know, Warren Buffett just bought what um, uh, five hundred. Oh, I forget the number. I think it was half a billion dollars worth of uh, Barrick over the weekend. He did a bit of a reshuffle. He still thinks gold is is got some more legs. Our commodity analyst uh, likes it. Uh, I think you know that US two thousand dollar will do some work around here, but I think it's going to go higher. Definitely. Right. Adam Dawes from uh, Sherman Partners. Thanks for joining us. Take care. Well, it's time to catch up with Paul Rickard, and Paul's written a story today on Telstra, and I'll get that in a second, but he's also been an enormous fan of JB Hi-Fi, you know, always uh, talking about how good value it was around $23, not all that long ago, probably about a year or so ago. Uh, Paul, um, another great report from JB Hi-Fi. Can the share price go any higher? Look, a fantastic report, Peter, better than the market expected. I thought uh, last week at about $46, it was looking... A bit pricey, but yeah. uh, here it is just shy of $50 today. So uh, great report. And the thing that really stands out in the, in the JB Hi-Fi report is that their cost of doing business, in other words, what they pay out to actually keep selling, mm. as a margin or as a percentage, that keeps going down. So they're really improving the... The, the, the actual total margin on every sale is actually increasing because they're getting their cost under control. And if anything, the uh, the laggard in the business, which had to be the, the good guy's business, mm. that actually did better than the JB Hi-Fi yeah. part in Australia. So mm. uh, a really strong report. Okay. Let's move now to Telstra. A lot of people have Telstra for the dividend. And a lot of people are wondering whether this dividend's under pressure because the last report wasn't uh, crash shot. What's your view, Paul? Yeah, look, I've, I've written an article about this today, Peter. I think, um, I think that they certainly want to keep paying a 16-cent dividend. Mm. Look, the, the, the challenges against them in terms of the current methodology, uh, if you're not familiar, there are two components to the dividend. There's, there's a so-called special component that relates to the, uh, the so-called one-off proceeds from every NBN connection that's made. In other words, whenever a client migrates off the Telstra backbone to the NBN backbone, they get paid a one-off fee for it. Mm. But those fees are coming it's to the end. It's a tatar fee. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a tatar fee, <laughs> and it, those fees are coming to an end. So mm. that's the first problem. Right. And secondly, their earnings aren't growing. And so their payout ratio under, under their current methodology is about as, 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 as high as it can be. Mm. So one option to Telstra is simply to change their formula. Mm. You know, and that's what I think that they'll probably end up doing because, uh, you know, in terms of cash flow, there's enough cash flow to keep paying out a dividend and invest in capital to grow the business. But right. as, as the current methodology says, they're going to be really challenged. So analysts, you know, if you look 16 cents the last few years, 
Analysts forecast now for the next year is uh, about 14.8 cents on consensus mm. and 14.5 cents for the year after. So analysts are starting to factor in a lower dividend. My hunch is Telstra will probably keep paying 16 cents this year, but um, it's not going to go to 12 cents. Okay. But it's going to be somewhere between 14 and 16 cents. And at $3.05, yeah, as a yield play, it's not. It's okay. Yeah. Tulsa's not going to give you much capital growth, uh, and the analysts have been wrong there. But um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, that's Paul Rickard. His uh, story is actually in the Switzer Report. You can go to switzerreport.com.au check it out. And that's the show for tonight. If you're interested in my market update for Elmo Software, which is one of my Zeet stocks, which I think have potential, take out a free trial of the Switzer Report. Just go to switzerreport.com.au and you get a chance to read Paul Rickard's full report on Telstra in that report as well. Just as I say, go to switzerreport.com.au. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for watching. See you next week.